0: Hi everybody, I'm Sabri Beneshour from Marketplace. And I'm Tim Fernholtz from Quartz. And this is Actuality.
1: Foreign military aircraft, this is Chinese Navy. You are approaching our military alert zone. Please immediately...
0: So that was the sound of the Chinese military telling a plane that CNN was on to get out of its airspace. Even though that plane was hundreds of miles from mainland China.
1: It turns out there are a bunch of small islands in the South China Sea. And
0: they are claimed by everybody in the region. So China, Taiwan, the Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, Brunei. But China
1: has taken an aggressive new turn in this game of competing claimsmanship. They're actually building islands, dredging up sand and piling it on top of coral atolls
0: to boost their claim. Yeah, they've actually built uh, over 2,000 acres of island. But before we talk more about that, we want to take a little trip back in time to when the U.S. was obsessed with tiny islands that no one lives in and should care about. In fact, these islands were giant mountains of bird poop. Yeah, we have had our own island adventures when it comes to
1: smash-and-grab land claims. And with us now to talk about them is Charles Mann. He wrote the book 1493, Uncovering the New World Columbus Created. And he writes up one interesting episode where the U.S. went crazy over islands covered in guano. Charles, thanks for joining us. Oh, It's my pleasure to be with you. What is guano, and, and why did people care about it so much in the middle of the 19th century?
2: Well, guano is bird poop. It's just a sort of a fancy way of saying that. And the reason that people cared is that in the beginning of the 19th century, chemists discovered that plants needed nitrogen to grow. And that although there's lots of nitrogen in the air, the plants can't use that. It's not a form they can use. And it has to be in other forms. And one of those forms that's most available to them is guano, bird excrement. And so there are places in the world where birds have lived for thousands and thousands of years, and the bird poop has built up. And most of those are islands where seabirds have lived. And so there was a huge guano industry that went all over the world. And the United States was extremely annoyed that the main sources of guano seemed to be Peru and were locked up by British companies. So we passed in 1856 the Guano Islands Act, which essentially said, Americans, if you find an island full of guano, go ahead, take it. It's yours. We'll protect you.
0: Is that legal?
2: Well, there wasn't really any structure of international law. Now, there's things built into the law that say, well, don't take it if it belongs to somebody else, you know, and that kind of stuff. But in practice, that exactly wasn't what was going to happen. It was kind of a license for freebooting. We ended up claiming more than 100 of these islands. Most of them, you know, are places you never heard of and played no role. But some of them are kind of important, like Midway Atoll, you know, which is the place where they had the huge battle in World War II, and probably some people who were listening here looked at those maps and thought, what on earth is America doing owning Midway Atoll, where this battle That's was why. fought? And the reason is it was it used to have a lot of guano on it.
0: Were there ever times when we were after Guano Islands and other people were after Guano Islands and it had to get settled somehow?
2: Yeah, mostly they weren't really settled. For example, there's an island called Navassa Island, which is not far from Haiti. And we basically took it um, because we were mad at Haiti, because Haiti had had her revolution in 1798 and kicked out all the slave-owning French plantation owners, and we were part of this blockade. And suddenly, this was something that might make Haiti wealthy. So we sort of grabbed it. And it's actually in the Haitian constitution that they want it back. Um, We still have it? We never gave it back? No, we still have it. In fact, it's under the jurisdiction of the Fish and Wildlife Service.
1: (laughs) So, uh, you know, when U.S. politicians are talking about these Chinese island disputes, it may be they're throwing stones in a glass house.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, things are different. We didn't have the technology to just build ourselves a bunch of islands the way the Chinese are. But we took islands that, for example, Colombia is pretty mad about. We took a big chunk of what is now American Samoa. At one point, we even tried to claim an island that was part of Canada.
1: I bet the Canadians loved that.
2: Yeah, pretty much people were thrilled everywhere. Um, (laughs) We still have some of them. The act has never been repealed. So I think it's technically still in force. And Ernest Hemingway's younger brother, I think, actually tried to use the Guano Islands Act to set himself up as his own country by creating an island by some kind of raft and saying, well, this is a Guano Island, and I get to have it and you know, live wherever I want to.
1: It's like the best combination of both strategies.
0: Yeah. <laughs> How thick did the guano get on these islands?
2: Yeah, the best of these islands were the Chincha Islands off the coast of Peru, and that's where this huge fishery is. So there's you know, these giant cormorants and other birds that lived, have lived there for millennia. You had 200 feet deep of guano deposits. Um, wow. It was awful, actually. And uh, Peru... Talk
1: about the, the working conditions a little. because Yeah. It, it's... <laughs> well, you
2: can imagine. You had this island that was entirely covered with guano. Not a single tree or anything can grow on it because it was so intense. The guano crystallizes and um, has little ammonia crystals in it. And the dust is toxic. Basically, the people who worked there were slaves.
1: The reason that we don't really know about this anymore is largely because guano is not an important fertilizer anymore, right? right? Technology has moved on.
2: Yes. So when we're talking about guano, you're talking about the beginning of an agricultural revolution. that had absolutely enormous impact. So even though the guano islands sounds ridiculous to us, in fact, it was part of a really big deal.
0: Can we compare what the U.S. did with the guano islands and what China's doing with the Spratleys? Um,
2: the Chinese are being aggressive. They've, they've, they've turned it up to eleven in a way that uh, even we didn't do. Um, it was sort of nasty what we did to um, Haiti, but the Spratly Islands and those islands are claimed by like half a dozen different countries, and that's already tense. And they're just marching in there into a place that's already tense and uh, and you know getting people really upset. In a, in a way that doesn't make any sense, because, of course, those islands are uninhabited because they're constantly racked by typhoons. I mean, they can't really build anything there.
0: Hmm. Well, that's interesting. So maybe this will all be moot next typhoon season.
2: Yeah, this is, you know, a lot of the uh, guano islands were claimed, and then it turned out it really wasn't economical to go off to, you know, some incredibly remote place and take a small amount of guano and ship it there. And you sort of have the feeling it was all about national prestige and a kind of national hysteria. And you sort of look at the Spratly Islands... And uh, note that all these nations have all these claims on. Nobody's ever built anything there. It's in the middle of typhoon country. Of course, it's not really worth fighting about.
0: Charles Mann, author of 1493, Uncovering the New World Columbus Created. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you.
1: Heather Timmons is Quartz's senior Asia correspondent in Hong Kong. Hello, Heather.
3: Hey, how are you?
1: I'm doing very well. So what exactly is China doing in the Spratleys right now?
3: China is building islands in the Spratleys. They are dredging sand, and they have been for months now, to reclaim land, and most recently have begun to build a runway there that can handle military aircraft.
1: And this is uh, part of a series of provocative gestures that have happened around these islands that every country around them claims, right?
3: Yes. For the past several years, China has been increasing its activity in the South China Sea, whether that's doing things like building a kindergarten on another controversial piece of land that is claimed by Vietnam or it's dredging sand to increase the size of islands that other countries also claim so that it can build upon them.
0: Heather, how do citizens of China feel about what their government is doing with these islands?
3: A lot of people think it is China's national right to claim this whole nine-dash line area of the South China Sea, which is 90 percent of the region. It goes hundreds and thousands of miles from China's shores right through special economic zones that are claimed by Vietnam, Malaysia, Brunei and the Philippines. The Chinese government itself, when it explained that it was going to maybe build an airbase in the Spratlys last fall, the language that they used was that Vietnam and the Philippines had sort of pushed China into a corner because they also had residents on these islands and that they were sort of forcing China to go ahead with building an airbase. This is feeding upon and, and, and helping bolster this real nationalistic fervor. How are people
0: in Vietnam, in the Philippines... How are they reacting to what China's doing building these islands?
3: The Vietnam and Philippines have been fishing, in some cases living on these islands for generations, and uh, things are getting really angry and out of control. We saw that last year when China put a sort of explorative oil rig right next to an island that Vietnam claims and then you just saw like this escalation of both official language between the two countries. And you could see unofficially people arguing about it and op eds coming out and different newspapers and things. And it, it seemed very ugly. And China finally withdrew that oil rig. But it, it's an area right now that feels like it is ready for that kind of escalation at any point.
0: Heather Timmons is the Asia correspondent for courts. Thanks for joining us, Heather. Thanks so much. Okay, so Heather just told us there's a lot of nationalist flag-waving on all sides of this conflict. But the law of the sea is bizarre, and I would like to know what the actual rules are. They were written by Poseidon in the waves with his mighty trident. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I mean, you get, like, sometimes you get 12 miles, and sometimes you get 700 miles. Like, what are the rules? And we actually have someone who can tell us, Mira Rapp Hooper, with the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Hi, Mira. Hello. You guys are the whole reason we know about China's island building in the first place, right?
4: Correct. Yeah. We, we have uh, documented China's island building activities using satellite and aerial imagery.
1: Can we talk about the sort of parallel legal universe that exists at sea? If you build an island somewhere or if you can demonstrate you're maintaining that presence like China is trying to do, what do you get out of that and how does that get decided?
4: Basically, the legal situation around these artificial islands is very complex. Artificial island building is not strictly illegal unless it inc- occurs in the exclusive economic zone of another country. And I should say as an aside that it is, it is quite arguable that China is building several of these artificial islands in the Philippines' exclusive economic zone. But strictly speaking, China's artificial island building is not illegal under UNCLOSE. That said, the building of artificial islands does not entitle any country, including China, to additional maritime claims or even sovereignty claims if those were not applicable before.
1: So does it matter then that China has done this? Is possession and nine-tenths of the law apply here?
4: Unfortunately, I think that is probably exactly how China sees it, the fact that possession is nine-tenths of the law. But because the building activity itself is not illegal, it's very hard for outside powers to devise a strategy to stop land reclamation itself.
0: How much ocean do you get around an island that you create?
4: You are entitled to no more than a 50-meter safety zone around an artificial island. A typical island, a naturally formed island, is entitled to a 12 nautical mile territorial sea and an exclusive economic zone, which is a 200 nautical mile delimitation that allows that country to exploit resources within that line.
1: Is there a danger that this is escalating things and it could become a conflict?
4: Absolutely. I believe sincerely that neither China nor any of the claimant states in the region nor the United States is seeking a full-fledged conflict in the South China Sea. But given that China has very rapidly developed these seven outposts and is militarizing them, the risk of accidental or inadvertent conflict escalation is growing significantly.
0: Mira Rapp Hooper, fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, thanks so much. My pleasure. So basically, the oceans are a giant courtroom, and China is trying to plant some evidence. I'm going to give you a 9.9 on the metaphor judge scale. It seems like it's a free-for-all out there. Well, as Thucydides said, (laughs) which I know from memory and did not just Google it, the strong do what they will and the weak do what they must. And basically, it just means... You know, if you can. (laughs) People know what it means. It's pretty
1: straightforward.
0: Yeah. Well, my point is that all this hocus pocus about law of the sea doesn't really stand up to the- But damn it, man, what about civilization?
1: (laughs) Well, part of the problem is that the United States has not ratified the law of the sea, and so it makes it awful hard for us to go in there and be like, hey, guys, obey the law that we're not going to obey because we'd like to do some deep seabed
0: mining. Yeah.
1: Everyone's hands are dirty here.
0: Yeah. Ours are dirty with bird shit. And now, time for something completely different. At Quartz, we have items called surprising discoveries. It's the
1: news that makes you raise your eyebrows. Today's surprising discovery, spooky spiders rained down on a town in Australia. Yes, that's right. Millions of (laughs) parachuting arachnids descended on the Australian town of Goulburn and freaked everybody out. But it turns out that's what spiders do all the time. (laughs) They do, do they? Yeah, according to science, this is how spiders migrate. They go to every continent. They go to Antarctica all the time, but they just die there. Have you ever been bitten by a spider?
0: Not that I've witnessed. Mm. I I was bitten once on my mouth, and it made my face swell up, (laughs) but I didn't have health insurance. So I went to an STD clinic, a free STD clinic, to get treated. It's not pretty. Were they equipped to treat a spider bite?
1: Well, uh... Or did they just give you, well, you know... You know, Why was your
0: mouth so close to a spider? It was while I was sleeping. I woke up and then there were two little puncture marks in my lip. And over the course of the next day and a half, my lip swelled up to the size of a grapefruit.
1: And that's all the time we have. If you want to know more about building islands, China, or making out with spiders. Please visit Quartz at QZ.com or
0: Marketplace at Marketplace.org. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at mpqz at Marketplace.org. Holler at us on Twitter. I'm at Tim Fernholz with a Z and Sabri is at Sabri Tree with a tree. Thanks to our producer, Claire Tennisgetter. Also thanks to uh, our various overlords at Quartz and Marketplace. Thank you for listening to Actuality.